Coming from the Caveman Studios in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to Caveman Corner with your host, Jeff. Captain Caveman! Thanks. Click subscribe and the bell. Do it now! All right, guys, we're here with Angelo Castricone, and hopefully we'll be joined by Charlie Anzalone in just a little bit. Uh, I was just talking in the green room with... Uh, Mr. Castricone, and we had all these great stories going on, and I don't want to waste all the great stories in the green room. So uh, we're just going to jump ahead and, and start talking because uh, we, we talked about uh, how long uh, Mr. Castricone's been in the game. Um, I started fighting in, in like 2004, 2005, uh, seriously fighting. Uh, before that, like we do like backyard fights and like every now and then, but like I've been in the, in the community for a really long time. And as long as I've been fighting, uh, Castricone's has been putting on kickboxing shows. And every show is pretty much the same. You go in, you know what you're going to get. Shows run well, good fights. Uh, the Castro guys almost always win. There must be some good matchmaking or something going on. Like, I don't know what you got going on there. You do a really good job matching your guys. Um, it's really good fun uh, entertainment. Uh, probably everyone that's came through the Buffalo community has fought for you that's uh, been a serious fighter. And you don't get a lot of credit for it. So I wanted to uh, get you on the show. And I know you got a... a uh, another uh, event coming on April 6th. So let's uh, jump into that event, talk about it a little bit, uh, the venue and how to get tickets, and uh, turn the floor over to you right now. Okay. Uh, again, thank you for having me. I appreciate being on. Our show April 6th will be at 500 Pearl Street in the um, Forbes Theater. Uh, and the number that's on our uh, our site, the call for tickets, set up reservations, uh, we do you know, a general admission, VIP ringside, and uh, basic and uh, sponsorship. Anybody looking to get the name up on the posters, get the name mentioned throughout the night for our sponsors. We welcome sponsorships also. Awesome. And then to uh, make get a sponsorship, what would we have to do, or what would uh, uh, they have to do? Just contact you, give you a call, or uh, message you? Yeah, go, give me a call. What I do, I turn them over to uh, Mac from Five Hundred Pearl. He sets up all the sponsorships and he sets awesome. up all the tables. Uh, and basically what they get is um, they get a, a quart of liquor. They get a, a case of beer with their sponsorship. They, it's a table for eight. Uh, it's run well. I mean, they do a good job setting their room up for us. Uh, as we did you know, the last show on November 18th, we had, we were sold out. We had a tremendous turnout. Uh, my youngest boy, Santino, he fought in, which is a big draw anyway. So, uh, it, we had a real nice, uh, real, real good events. Yeah, it was a great fight. Uh, the whole car was awesome. I had a uh, guy in that car. Like we didn't have a, we didn't. It was the the result wasn't great for us, but the the, the venue was great. Um, like uh, it was awesome being in that room. I felt like a like a movie star up there. Uh, yeah. The, the the waiting rooms are like these giant dining halls. So uh, there's there's tables in there, but there's plenty of room to warm up, and it was just really cool. It was a cool environment, and then. You go downstairs, and, and the seating is really cool in that venue. Um, we talked about a little bit offline, but it was a seat like 550, something like that, and then there's a standing room. Yeah, exactly, plus plus standing room. Yeah, and it was sold out. There was not a, a place to no. sit, and it was an awesome show. It was loud because, like, it's a theater, so the seats come down and on, on top of the ring. So when you're in there, it's a super cool environment. It was cool to corner there. I'm sure it was awesome to fight there. And uh, I'm sure the crowd had a good time. Everyone that uh, went from my gym thought it was a really cool venue. Good. Yeah, the energy was was incredible. You know, you go to some venues and 
you know, it, it just the energy isn't there. But, you know, that place alone, um, our ring announcer, he gets people pumped up and primed up and, you know, get the fighters ready. And it was just, like I say, it was just constant energy throughout the night, which was, was tremendous. Uh, I can't I can't say enough how how cool that show was. Uh, we we fought at the Lux. I've been there for your show at the Lux. I think that did you have it at the Lux or what was yeah. the other bar? Yeah, we had it. Uh, yeah, Lux. Um, what's it now? Um, it was Lux. I forgot what it was. Yeah, we did probably six or seven shows there, and that was a nice venue. But what happened was they had to wind up. The building inspectors came in, so you got to put a wall here for whatever reason. And that cut out a lot of floor space. I said, well, we can't do it here any longer. There's just not enough room to get the ring. But that was a good venue, too. Yeah, it's, it's not too often that you uh, you get a promoter that cares more about the venue than uh, how many seats they have. Usually you get these guys that try and get – it doesn't even matter, like, how many people they fit in. They just get as many seats as they can. And they're like, yeah, ah, here it is. Like, let, let's make the fights happen. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, my, 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 my whole thing has been as long as people come, they have a good time. It's a good event. You know, good fights, good matchups. That's my biggest concern when I do my shows. You know, more than how many people can I put in seats. So, do you have a matchmaker or? Yeah, uh, me. Do you do all the matchmaker. <laughs> so, you're the matchmaker. I'm the matchmaker, the promoter. I'm the ring girl. Yeah, I do all everything I could do to, to run the show. <laughs> I didn't see you doing any ring girls. Uh, <laughs> but I, I want to see Carrie Card now. now. You talked about online. You might have to do this now. I might hold you to this. I'm, you <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> I I still want to go into the event more, but I gotta uh, ask you some questions. Like I was surprised to hear that you're pushing seventy. Uh, you look the same as when I met you. I think I met you for the first time in 2013, maybe 14, yep. at a show, and like you pretty much look the same. If anything, you're a little bit more jacked. Uh, I asked you offline if you're on uh, TRT and you said no, but I'm gonna ask you again online. Like, uh, what are you doing to look so young, man? How do you stay in shape? Again, I, I train all the time, you know, between our gym and you know, our fighters, and then I go to the weight room, I do you know, my weights. Um, I've been always consistent. I'm the type of person if I don't train, I get mentally aggravated, you know. What I mean, it's like you, you don't have the release that you need, um, when it comes to the weights, when it comes to the gym. I still, you know, get on the bag, work the bag. Once I get, in a, you know, in the ring with my guys and bang with them a little bit. Um, but again, you know, I don't drink. I haven't drank in 35 years. Uh, I gave that up and just wasn't for me at the time and never looked back. Does that help you not drinking, you think? You think, is that uh, what you credit to or do you think just credit to? I do. I, I think, yeah, I think so. But again, before that, I was in the nightclub business. You know, I opened my club in um, 80, 88 and I quit in like, in like 86 years before I knew I was opening a nightclub. But it's a good thing because if I'd have been drinking at that time, I probably lasted two, three years rather than 18 years in a club business, which is a long time. Oh, looks like we got some uh, Mr. Anselm here. Hey. 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 This is my partner in crime. I, I, I'm internet deficient here. <laughs> I didn't see it. You know, set mine up. I know nothing about this stuff. Nah, I just started clicking shit. You know, <laughs> you're here, and we appreciate it. So we're already live, and it was you popped in at the perfect time because Mr. Cascone was already talking about the nightclubs. So uh, I want to hear some stories. That I'm sure you guys got some stories from the '80s. So uh, I want to oh, hear some, uh, some of your seven, stories. Seven, seventies and '80s. 
Seventies knees, yep. Now we're we're old guys. We go back to the disco era. Oh yeah. Angelo <laughs> still Angelo still wears bell bottoms when nobody's looking. <laughs> what are you doing in the world's largest disco? They call me up. Do you have any clothes left? They go, No, I have no clothes left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you do. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> goodness, now they suffer a lot of money. Remember we used to go to the Hardy Hardy shoe downtown to get the platforms? Yep. Yep. That's I, used right. my, I used to get my platforms from Detroit. <laughs> I had, and I used to have a guy come in from Hong Kong and make my suits. Oh, that's funny. Come in, I was the only guy that was, you know, couldn't make enough money. I just come in for one guy. I used to have a lot of uh, clients. Then they dwindled off and dwindled off. But um, I used to go to United Men's, who I go to all the time. I used to go to Merry Go Round, get my clothes. Merry Go Round, Man 2, Fantastic. Uh, yep. Merry go around. That's where all the hot chicks worked. <laughs> did, did you guys have the Saturday Night Fever white suit? The what? The Saturday Night Fever. Say again. Um, Johnson was a white suit. Nah, Tebers was past the, the disco era. Tebers uh, <laughs> was an yeah, old. So we, we, we were in the we were in the early disco era. Yeah. Mid seventies, even 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 before even before Saturday Night Fever. But you know they had so many. Every club was a different theme. You had Club Seven Forty Seven, which was a plane. Yeah, it's not a plane. You had Port Shark, which was all nautical with a big shark tank in the lobby. You yeah, had National Bank, which was the door was a vault. I worked there. What else do we have? Uh, red Jack, Red Pepper. Um, red Pepper. Yeah, uh, Fridays and Saturdays. That was the shit, though. I mean, you could, on, on Young's Road. That was that was the King Kong of the discos. Yeah. Mulligans on hurdle. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what was your what was your guys' theme or your theme, Mister Castricone? Were you? It was a, an old oldish club. We played nothing but. Uh, we didn't go past anything in the nineteen sixty two and before. So I would tell the bands nothing past 62, tell my DJ. He said, what about Beatles? I said, Beatles is in American rock and roll. I want nothing but oldies. And from the day we opened, they exploded. We were jammed. Yeah, it was T-Birds. T-Birds, right? Yep. Yeah. So a great guys- club, by great employees. I mean, I tell people what made my club was the employees. I had, you know, my doorman were great people. I, the girls, they had to get up on the dance floor, they would do the stroll with the customers, the jitterbug with the customers. So even the girls would say that the only place they can go alone to feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So they got to their cars at the end of the night. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, you know, we had trouble once in a while, but one of my doormen, Big Al, was 585. So <laughs> if you want to mess with Big Al. But uh, uh, again, it was just the people that made what made it last for 18 years, which is a long time in club business. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at Fridays and Saturdays, Mulligan, 747. My first resident DJ job was at Melanie's in 1975. Yeah. Over there on Main and Transit, yeah. I lived at Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, yeah, that was the place. I would have been the seven, but they closed one night for cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Fridays and Saturdays was the best on Young's Road. For sure. So well, how was your relationship developed, Charlie? Were you, like, the DJ for Angelo's Club? Like, I, I'm... Like just trying to like catch up and see how you guys like manage each other and like how the nightclub business started. 
I actually knew Angelo first, really, from the fight business. When when Kevin Rozier, who, of course, was in UFC 1, what, what, what happened was Kevin Rozier worked at a club I worked at back in the early 80s. And then he went... Uh, he went into the army and, of course, got discharged from there. Then he, he told me, he goes, I want to be a, I want to take martial arts and karate and be a kickboxer, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, okay, Kevin. And um, back in the early 90s, I was DJing at the place called Kicks Nightclub or Celebrities. And I get a knock on the sound booth door. And it's a Kevin Rozier with a big grin on his face. I hadn't seen him in years. And... Um, in the meantime, in the mid-late 80s, he became like a five-time world super heavyweight kickboxing champion. No leg kicks, just you know, above the waist. And uh, and uh, ISKA, WKA, North American, US, blah, blah, blah. And then he went into retirement, disappeared. He went to New York, got thrown out of there. He got <laughs> went to Vegas, got thrown out of there for a few reasons. And um, so uh, Angelo knew him and me. and. Through through that, you know, I when Kevin came into my sound booth that night, he goes, "I want you to manage me." I said, "Why? What the fuck are you doing now?" He goes, "There's this crazy new event. There's no rules. You can get killed." And I said, "Give me the guy's phone number." So he gives me the guy's phone number. I call it. The guy's name was Art Davy. He goes, uh, "My name is Art Davy. I got. I represent Kevin Rochier." I said, "He goes, well, I got a new event similar to the Valley Tudos they do in Brazil, and it's uh." eight-man elimination tournament. The only thing you can't do is I got your bite. <laughs> that was it. And uh, you got to win three times in one night to win a $50,000 prize. And uh, so I started giving my sales pitch. Well, I got a five-time super heavyweight kickbox. I didn't even finish my sales pitch. And he goes, I'll take him. Right. And, and why? Because Benny Arquitas turned it down. Donna Dragon Wilson turned it down. Uh, the grappler, um, Bart Vale turned it down. Everybody was turning this thing down. Who wanted to do this crazy event? And that's how he got in the UFC one. And, and that's when I started associating myself with um, uh, Angelo because he had multiple black belts in, uh, in karate and taekwondo and stuff like that. And so we just uh, had a common interest in the martial arts. Well, Charlie, Charlie sent him Kevin to me. Now, if you know Kevin, Kevin six four. 268 280 pounds of big man and he came to me he says oh i heard you're a great kicker i have a fight coming up his first fight kickboxing he says i want you to teach me it's okay i said well here let's start on the bag kick the bag you could kick above my knees <laughs> not my i could kick above my ankles i said kevin you you got to kick this was uh i can kick i said okay what's your fight I, i'm assuming his fight is in you know Eight months, six months, goes two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. He's yeah. fighting Tom Hall. Now, Tom Hall was a former um, a super heavyweight champion, world champion. He's a little bit out of his prime, but he's still Tom Hall. So we went up to Massachusetts, Wisconsin. The biggest thing was between Tom Hall's coach and me was who was better dressed in the ring. <laughs> contest, besides that. So now Kevin Higgin in and he drops Kevin the first round, drops in the second round. The ref says, if he drops him a third time, I'm gonna have to end it. I go, if he drops in the third time, I'll end it. <laughs> so he fought the fight, lost it. 
But when we got there, the funny part is they had um, – I mean, they, the news there. I mean, it was a big ordeal in Madison, Wisconsin. And they had Kevin as 11 and 0. I said, he's never fought before. I said, would you come and watch him if he had no fights? <laughs> I guess I wouldn't. Well, was that a show Duke Rufus put on? No, that was uh, Rick um, – uh, what was the name? Um, uh, I can't think uh, what his name was. But that was the beginning of, of Kevin's, you know, kickboxing career. And then, like I say, Charlie took him, you know, all the way to UFC and got him involved in UFC. He won, he won UFC. Well, he won his first match or second match. First match against, against Zane Frazier. Yeah. Um, but Kevin was, like I say, that was our, our connection between the two of us. Yeah. He sent him to me, and then we started, you know, promoting and getting into our doing our own shows. Yeah, Kevin was Kevin was like when he fought Ray Horsey and when he fought uh, Stan Voss and them, he was like two thirty five or two thirty five, two forty, forty five, I think, after he got in shape back when he was kickboxing. And but when he when he knocked on my sound booth door, it, he he filled up the whole door. I said he's, he was like he had to be two hundred and eighty five, three hundred pounds. Yeah, he'd blow up at that now and then. I actually uh, trained with him a little bit in the basement before. Uh, he wanted to do some grappling, and me and Primo—I don't know if you know Primo Luciano or not—went sure, over there and uh, like uh, he got armbarred and he freaked out and he kicked us out. It was pretty funny. <laughs> was that when he had the Chinese guy living with him? I—I I don't know who was living there. Like I don't. There was someone else there. I don't really. I don't know. We were in the, on the concrete, so it was. Uh, it was not he, had, the best. he had some Chinese guy that he brought it from China. The guy didn't speak any English. Kevin spoke no Chinese. I go, with this guy. The guy had a little mattress in the corner. That's where the guy. Well, Kevin was always a trip. Kevin was always an interesting person. Yeah, he's, to, uh, to say the least. <laughs> he's one of the more interesting characters I've met in uh, the fight game. Um, oh, he went. To, he went. To, he went to Master Tati's in Las Vegas to train, try to do some Muay Thai before the UFC. And Master Tati goes, you know, he 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 did. A, he warmed up a little bit, then hit the bag twice, and then sat down and drank water. That's all. He, <laughs> that's all he did. But one thing about Kevin, if I if I would call him today, say Kevin, I got to fight for you tomorrow. Okay, what I got to be? He'd fight. no prep. He would fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. I mean, yep. Kevin passed. He passed away. What's it been two years now? That Kevin's been gone. A little more than before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a, yeah. It was um, sad to see his demise. He got smaller, and so he was in a wheelchair. Uh, last time I see him, we we did a show at my gym in West Seneca, yeah. and he brought me a plaque. I still got to hang in my gym. He said, uh, uh, "Mr. Casco, thank you for your." You know, the, the sport and thank you for being who you are and training us. And it was very, such a real nice plaque that he get, he gave to me. It meant a lot because we were so close for so many years. So hanging in my gym, you know, I, I look at it, think of him, you know, at times. That was awesome. I met him at that show too. Uh, and he didn't really, really remember me. I don't know if he's had memory problems or not. Um, but like, I know that he remembered you. And I thought it was really cool. When, when I saw you guys interact, I was like, Man, who is this uh, Castro Cone guy? You know, like I didn't really know too much about you. So, Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin was a manic depressant. Yeah, yeah. Kevin was a manic depressant. He used to take lith lithium and all that. And but we were at the in UFC four. 
I said, Kevin, don't take don't take your lithium tonight. You got <laughs> you got you got to go crazy and fight this guy. Oh. Yeah, he had his demons, and his uh, wife didn't do him any favors either. Oh, no, yeah, no. I tell you a story that if I kept saying on uh, live, but yeah, I guess I, I could too. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, He's Kevin not here is, anymore. We can say whatever we want, really. <laughs> like I say, Kevin had a big heart, you know, for a big man. Um, he was the kind of person he knew everybody, everybody knew him. He walked yeah. in the room, he made a point that he had to meet everybody, let everybody know who he was. Um, but again, he's just a, a good soul. Everybody loved him. Unfortunately, his demise in the end, you know, what he, again, he must have been, I don't know, 150 in his wheelchair when he came to my show. And uh, I think he passed away a little bit later uh, later on than that. You know, he moved down to Tennessee or wherever it was so he could see his kids because Tina yeah. moved down there with the kids. And he yeah. moved down there and she wouldn't let him see him. Yeah. And that was like. Uh, that was the end of, you know, beginning of the end for him. Over, over the edge, yeah. Yeah, exactly from over the edge. That's tough, man. Uh, That's tough. Yeah. Man, a good woman either makes you or breaks you in this sport. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's tough. Like, you see great fighters get ruined by women, and you see not, fighters they don't think are going to make it get support, and they, they do better than you think because they got someone supporting them. And so, yeah, yeah. If you're watching this and you're a fighter, make sure you uh, you you pick your, your woman correctly. I mean, it's a, it's the partner that you're going to have to go through all your fights with and your camps. Exactly. And they have to know all, all the all the training, the injuries, the politics, all that. Yeah, you got to have somebody by your side, definitely. But, Joe, you go back to the uh, the beginning, the old days, you know, when I started. You know, again, you would be called, you know, your instructor would call you up to spar, you spar, no headgear, no gloves, no shin pads. No, there was nothing except, you know, you get up, you know, and that's how I got my eyes split open and my stitched up a roundhouse kick, you know, and then Bess Lee says, Oh, Angelo, you got to go to the hospital. I go, no, no, this ain't over yet. <laughs> they go, I'll go get stitched when we're done fighting because I'm not done. Um, but the guy who did it was a dear friend of mine, um, George McCastle. Uh, George was a, he's passed away since then. He was a tremendous, tremendous martial artist. We would, we would travel to the point circuit, him and I, and another friend of ours we called Blackjack. Well, they said we look at Oreo cookie because they were both African-American. I was white. We traveled the country, wherever the achievement, the three of us would go. And, you know, and, we, and they would look like, what are these three guys doing here? But George would win in the white belt division. He, he'd win the Masters. Just how talented he was. And um, he wind up, uh, his house got firebombed. And uh, he died. And it was a fireman. He just became a fireman. And they, they firebombed his house. There was issues going on. And I found out later, which I didn't know. And uh, he died in the fire years ago, many years ago. Um, uh, but again, another guy who was a tremendous uh, you know, martial artist. But we did that. We traveled to Pointster because there was no kickboxing at that time. No. What happened was the way I got into kickboxing end of it, I was at a, a point term in Niagara Falls and there's an exhibition, two kickboxers was um um what they said uh Kenny Graziano and Kenny Olson. Olson, yeah I remember Kenny Olson an exhibition match for the point fighters. I looked at my cousin I said that's who we need to be. If you knock me out, you win. If I knock you out, I win. Because yeah. with the points are, you know, tell me you got four judges in the center referee. And I usually was always like the arbitrator for the events were going on wherever they were. And, you know, if you got three corners that are from your school, 
you get through all the points you want, you're not going to get it. So you're not going to get it. The ring, again, if I knock you out, you know, I win. If you knock me out, you win. But then the politics followed us there. Because I had a, um, I fought Tom, um, not, um, uh, what was his name? Um, from, uh, you fought in Joe Corley's Battle of Atlanta, didn't you? I fought at Battle of Atlanta. I fought it in uh, Madison Square Garden. Who, uh, who'd you fight in the Battle of Atlanta? A real famous guy. Yeah, I know. I know it didn't last long. <laughs> he was that famous. <laughs> I get disqualified a lot because I was, you know, aggressive. You know, in the point you, you couldn't be aggressive. Um, yeah, Joe was, Corley did those big shows every year. Yeah. Battle of Atlanta. Yeah. That was but like the Super Bowl. That was like the Super Bowl of martial arts every year. Yeah. Well, I brought this guy from Ohio, and uh, knowing you, you go in Ohio, you go in another area. If you don't knock him out, you're not going to win. So I lost a decision, which I was okay with them. It was a good fight between us. So I fought him again in Ohio. And there was another split decision. So I said, you know what? I'm going to bring him to Buffalo. I'm going to fight him here. Well, at that time, Bill Gallant, who owned um, Classic Karate Studio. Classic Karate on uh, uh, Sheridan Drive. Yeah. Yeah. So I fought. His name was Will Carpenter. So I fought. I brought Will Carpenter to Buffalo. Well, they bring Ohio judges. I'm looking at my. Didn't you, didn't you fight Will Carpenter in the Battle of Atlanta too? No, I I, 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 I thought you did. Well, uh, Will I fought in Ohio, but when I brought him here in Buffalo, they bring Ohio judges. I go, I look at the promoter. I go, why would you do that? Oh no, they'll, they'll be they'll be honest. Oh yeah, fight. I lose a split decision. <laughs> Will comes up and, 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 and he even and he even Will Carpenter even said you won he, the fight. He come up to me. He goes, I didn't beat you today. Yeah, I apologize. So <laughs> I took my trophy, my money. I threw it to the judges, and I walked out. Okay. So then, when I I when I turned pro and I wanted to fight him, a week before the fight, he pulls out. He got he fought a North American title fight and took several stitches in his face and he couldn't fight. So there's a fighter, um, Sean, out of out of uh, Pennsylvania, and I knew he was a tough kid. He had fought one of my guys like a year before. I called him up. I said, "You'd be interested." He said, "Yeah, I'll fight you," and I I. Won my, my pro title and beat him in five rounds, but here in Buffalo, you know, I didn't travel anymore because it was just nonsense. So, what that happened to point ring or in the, in the kickboxing, you know, there's always a politics that you have to play with, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so didn't didn't Kevin Rozier didn't Kevin Rozier get his belt from uh, uh, belt from Bill Gallant? No, Kevin. No. Kevin. Again, I hate talking about the deceased, but Kevin. <laughs> being, being the arbitrator at these these kick by, uh, point tournaments, one week he was a white belt, next week he was a yellow belt, next week he was a black belt. So I didn't question. He, what he said was he got it from Billy Blanks. Now we knew Billy because when I traveled to point circuit, Billy Blanks, Chuck Norris, Bad Brad Hefton, they were all the big names. Bad uh, Brad Hefton, and he was a great kickboxer. I told him, I said, Kevin, I don't know where you got it. It doesn't matter to me. But then he got mad at me, you know, a while after seeing that he called me up and I heard he was bad mouthing me, which he never did. And he said that um I I was telling people he didn't get a black belt. I go, what I told people he didn't get it from me. He got it from yeah. Billy. It's fine. It doesn't matter to me. I just said, you know, I wasn't the one that gave you the belt. 
you know, you didn't you know, train under me in traditional martial arts. Um, but again, that, so much had to do with Kevin's mind frame on a lot of things he was doing. So I never faulted him for it. You know, a lot of stuff was out of his control mentally. You know, they used to get in the shock treatment where they put the metal plate in his mouth. Oh, yeah. 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 And he would come back to work because him and I opened the Olympia Club together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when it was. But he would come in and he'd be like a zombie from getting zapped. Like for maybe a month, he would just, you know, because what the uh, electrodes, whatever they put through him. Um, but again, he was just, uh, that was Kevin, the kind of person he was. Yeah, that's crazy. I I heard you say Madison Square Garden. Are you fought Madison Square Garden? Yeah. Can you tell me that story? I like Madison Square Garden is like the mecca of fighting, so you can't yeah. say that and not talk about it. So I gotta ask you about that. <laughs> it was it was a point tournament, and they had you know, fighters from all over the country fighting there. And again, it was a, the point tournament to you know, elimination. And uh, the first round, um, well, what they had was we were fighting. On, on concrete floor, so they gave us, they gave us a little. It was like a little thing, a, a foam thing with a little strap. I go, what's that for? Well, in case you hit the concrete, I go, what's that going to do? You know, <laughs> a little not that thing about an inch thick. And uh, so we fought on concrete floors, and um, you know, I think I lost in the second or third round. Um, but I was more a banger than I was a point fighter. You know, I had kicks and. Uh, my I was noted for my axe kick, even in the kickboxing world. Everybody said, "Yo, just be careful as the axe kick," and I learned that from Doctor Speed, uh, my good friend Marty. Oh, Marty. Davis. Yeah. yeah. Watch him in a point tournament because we we fight at the same time in the point circuit. I always loved his axe kick, and I started mimicking what he was doing, and I became you know very proficient at it. Why would throw it? And if you knew it was coming, you still couldn't stop it. Yeah. But I, I give right. that to Marty because you know, I used to watch him, and you know that was his signature kick. Nice older from him. <laughs> and the old full, full contact kickboxing back then, you had the, the, like the our WK rules. So me and Ange were WK promoters, so we uh, you had to get eight kicks in per round. About, about and, if, yeah. and if you didn't get those eight kicks in, we had kick counters with cards on on the on all sides of the ring. And if you didn't get those eight kicks in, you had to make up those kicks in the next round. So if you only landed six, the next round you'd have to add land ten. You know, you'd have to add the extra extra kicks. And that was uh, that was your full contact days. Like Kevin Rozier did all above the waist. The one time he did a leg kick fight, the Japanese, Mr. Ishii, who promoted K1 and stuff for many years, they, they wanted to put the super heavyweight kickboxing champion, Kevin Rozier, against the heavyweight kickboxing champion, Maury Smith. And you go, you go watch that watch that on YouTube, man. He's Maury's nailing him with a leg kick. Leg kick. Kevin's like hopping around. Oh, geez, oh shit. God, yeah, it's on YouTube. Just like when Rick the Jeff Rufus fought a leg kick fight, I think, what, fourth round, he couldn't come out anymore? His yeah, rolling and banged up because he wasn't used to it. That's when he fought a tie guy, right? That was a tie fight. The yeah. tie versus kickboxing. Yep. Yep. I've watched that a lot of times. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, he fought, he fought guys uh, just above the waist too that are usually leg kickers. He fought Ernesto Hoost over in Holland. He fought uh, fought a lot of those guys. Yep, but when it came to leg kicks, 
you know, he got into the uh, when we did K One USA here when Art Davy promoted it, brought K One uh, to Las Vegas. Um, uh, he was uh, he was in that in that event, and yeah, he didn't like the leg kicks too much. <laughs> so, how did you guys uh, start this? Uh, like, it's called Castle Kickboxing. Now, what was it when you guys were working together? How did you guys promote the show? Let's uh, talk about the history of your show, Mr. Castlecombe. Well, it was the same. It was the same thing. Kickbox, kickboxing at its best. Oh, I'll be right back because I got something to show you. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. The kickboxing at its best series, and we kept on the old, the, the fifth, the sixth, seventh, and eighth show. Um, you know, Charlie, I was a matchmaker. Charlie was the promoter. Charlie got the sponsorships, got the hall. I put all the matches together, put all the fights together. It was a good marriage. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Take that mustache off. Give me that mustache, Abby. <laughs> yeah. Is that you, sir? Yeah, and my, my boys on the boat on either side of me. Oh, you little boys. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, put the, up there. Yeah, the there. Oh, sure, down there, Anthony and Angelo on each side of me. Yeah. Holy cow. It's called Kickboxing Addicts at its best. Ange came up with the, yeah. uh, with, the, with the name. And then we had to get sponsors. So we had to get a major sponsor that would come up with some money. You know, we every fight had a sponsor. I got a sponsor for every fight. My chiropractor, he's got about 10 plaques on his wall from, the, from those events. And uh, at car dealerships, Honda Village, everybody. But we needed a main sponsor. So I talked to Bill Delamore, God rest his soul. He was the GM for all of Jimmy Cosentino's properties. I go, can you hook us up with a beer distributor or something? So we hooked us up with the... Uh, distributor in Buffalo that had Molson beer. And I sat down with Bill Delmore and I said, you know, they could be the main sponsor, but I mean, they got to come up with some money. What they come up with? Like a thousand dollars or something like that. And we gave them a bunch of uh, ringside seats and we called it the Molson kickboxing classic. Yeah. And, and the Radisson hotel kicks nightclub, every place, every bar in that hotel only poured Molson that night. That was the deal. And um, Lenovo's was our sponsor. We gave them the pizza. We gave Lenovo's the pizza concession. They came up with money and I gave them ringside seats, but they got this. They sold, they had their delivery guys run to the Radisson hotel and Bill Delmore gave us the courtyard at the Radisson for free. Cause you take the door, we'll take the bar. And uh, everybody made money. And Lenovo's was had pizza. They, they were running low on pizza. They had guys running from their only Lenovo's there in the West Side with pizzas. Oh, they made money. And, 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 that's, how it, and that's how it started. Lenovo's nickname, my youngest boy, Gino, they called his company Italian Bulldog. Really? <laughs> when, he, when that bell rang, he would run across to that opponent and just beat the crap out of him in the corner. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, that's the way he fought. Yeah. That's the fight we had. So we used to do it at the racetracks because Charlie hit in with the racetrack. Uh, oh, racetrack. That, that was that, that was the best. We, 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 did, we did a show. We did a show at Buffalo Raceway. The guy at Buffalo Raceway called me because I want to do some kind of promotion. Here, you and your partner Angelo are doing kickboxing because you think we could do fights at the racetrack. So we sat down and thought about it, and I said, you know, there's enough time. <coughs> there's 10 harness races a night, sometimes 12. But there was enough time between the races to do a three-round fight with two-minute rounds. I said, that's perfect. So we set the ring, remember, Angela, on the, on the start-finish line at Buffalo yeah. Raceway. 
and the harness race would go off the harness race they came to the finish line boom angel had the guys in the ring i was the announcer too and i, and I would be announcing uh the fight and we did that between each harness race and after a couple of races the guys who were betting the horses they got the bracing program in their pocket they were betting on the fights do God, hey man, I'll take that kid in the blue, I'll take that kid in the red corner. <laughs> They're betting the horses, then they started betting on the kids between each other. And they gave us us and they gave us a site fee. They paid us to bring the show there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good gig we used to do there. And you fought that night. That's it. Yeah, yeah, there. But it was it. People like, how can you go to a racetrack? And it was just crazy. Like I said, about my youngest boy, too. Then one, then one night at the track, he's looking to Rasta. He goes, "Pa, I think you made a mistake." He goes, "Why?" He says, "I'm the first fight in the last fight." He's no mistake. You know, he's been out a second round with you. You don't even break a sweat. You could fight twice. And he did. Now you can't. Do that. Now with all the rules and regulations, you can't get away with that. Why yeah. fight? He, he beat both the eyes. Actually, one of the guys he beat was Pete Gogolak's son, a grandson. Yeah. yeah. Punter was it punter or field goal kicker for us, the Bills? Field goal kicker. Field goal kicker. He was the first soccer, first soccer style kicker in the uh, in pro, pro football. Was it? Yeah. Pete Gogolak, yeah. You know, the shows have to, again, Charlie took care of the money. I took care of the fires. And at my wedding, and they, we got the video, they're interviewing him. He says, Angel's my, the only partner I ever had that we didn't have to worry about who counted the money. And that's <laughs> what he said. That's well, we, 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 we just, uh, we're good partners. We're yeah. partners in crime, man. I told Angelo, I'll get a sponsor. I'll put the asses in the seats. You put the fights together. Yeah. And it was a perfect partnership. Yeah. Did you, was whose idea was it to start putting these fights on? Why did it was sort of a collaboration. Why did the first one, 88, it, uh, out in the lobby of my nightclub? Yeah. Mall. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And then Charlie and I met up and you know, he said, "Hey, between the two of us, you you put it together. I'll do. I'll take care of the fighters, and we'll make this happen." They came from Toronto to fight on our cards because, in, oh, in in Canada, well, in Ontario, Ken Kayashi, the athletic commissioner, oh, what a bastard he was. <laughs> he wouldn't allow full contact or nothing. So me and Angelo heard Siam number one gym suit chart. You know, we're doing an amateur. An amateur Muay Thai thing. So we drive all the way to fucking Toronto. And we're there at the gym. And here comes Ken Kayashi. There will be no contact today, gentlemen. We were like, we drove all the way up here. What do you mean no contact? It's an amateur. They got head and shit and everything. So we told him, fuck him. Come and fight on our shows in Buffalo. <laughs> and they came down. Him, Sam Laui and all them guys. Mick and Marty McNamara. The, twin, the, twin, the twin dragons, yeah. Mick and Marty McNamara. They, Paul Biafor was their world champion. Oh, yeah, was their world champion. And uh, uh, we got a female fan here. Oh, my God. Hi, Angelo. Jen Liss. L-I-S. Good, Jen. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Charlie. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, uh, that that that's how it started, and then I, you know, we did those until I moved to Las Vegas, and then uh, Angel Angelo and his kids are carrying on from there. When did you move to Vegas? I forgot what year you left me. September nineteen ninety six. Wow, that, that's that's when we got divorced. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you took all my money. I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, a long time, huh? Yeah. And you only came out here to see me once in 30 fucking years. Yeah. <laughs> I go out there with all my money. I can't keep going out there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the yeah. Canadians were, they still um, support my shows. Yeah. Did you start the, the promotion so you could get fair fights so you didn't have to travel out of town? Is that what the emphasis was to start the organization, or did you just want to put on fights? No, I think I did it just so we didn't have to travel anymore. I got tired of politics. You know, wherever you go, it's always the same game. And I said, you know, yeah, our, our shows, our shows were legit too. They were WKA sanctioned shows, and we all oh, get this. You, you gotta have. There were no rules for martial arts and shit in New York State back then, or MMA or nothing like. It was up to the municipalities to approve it, like they did when we brought the UFC there for the first time years ago. I think UFC five, whatever it was. But anyway, we had ring doctors. We had the how we got paramedics. All my friends worked were at firemen for Main Transit Fire Department. And I said, you know, if I give you guys a whole bunch of tickets for the fire department, will you come and be our EMTs at ringside? And they said, sure. So we had EMTs at Main Transit Fire Department with their ambulance, everything, and the stretchers, everything. It, it was like, like a pro fight. And what better guys to have to have uh uh, be uh, medical and stuff at your fights. Guys in the fire department who deal with head-on collisions, trauma, head injuries, and shit, and everything. You know, they they know their shit. Yeah, and if, I mean, if we had to pay for an ambulance, an AMR, or something like that, we wouldn't have made any money. It would have cost a fortune. It still costs a fortune. Oh yeah, oh I'm sure it does. No, yeah, but now you have to have a doctor, paramedic, EMT, ambulance, stretcher. It's insanity. What we do do in Nevada, when I became an inspector about 18 years ago for Nevada Athletic Commission, Mark Ratner, who I knew, who was the commissioner, he goes, uh, goes, Chuck Anzalone, you you do all these, uh, you did amateur kickboxing, promote Muay Thai, MMA, all that shit, the UFC. He goes, go check out one of these amateur shows because smokers are technically illegal. Yeah. So, uh, I went to Master Toddy's show. There's a lot of great fighters got their start with Master Toddy here in Las Vegas over the years. Gina Carano, everybody. And um, I, I took notes. I said, uh, well, they had a guy checking the guy's kid's the blood pressure before the fight and all that. But there's no, no one one kid blocked a punch, fractured his arm. Well, of course, his friends or parents had to take him to the hospital. What happens when you go to an emergency room by yourself? You're there for six hours. But if there was an ambulance, you get right in. So I sat down with Mark Ratner and I said, you know, uh, Angel, you, you should look into this too. They go, how can, how can we? I said, you know, these are not big budget shows, but we got to have an ambulance. You got to have paramedics, at least somebody at ringside. Yeah. So they, Mark Ratner got to push through that um, paramedics are paid for through the amateur fund. Here in Nevada, Athletic Amateur Fund. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And and when you buy a ticket for a pro event, a UFC, a boxing championship, and buy a small print, $1 from every ticket goes to the uh, State of Nevada Amateur Athletic Fund. That's how they fund it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So they don't have to pay for any EMTs. 
And if EMT has to bring somebody to the hospital, I mean, they're on the radar right away. We're going to be transporting, send another ambulance. Boom, AMR sends another ambulance because the next fight can't continue until right. there is a permit. And that's yeah. all paid for. That's all paid for through the estate amateur fund. You might want to look into that. Yeah. Tell them that's what we do in Nevada. Not to check that out. Yeah. In New York State, you know, you can't get nothing from them, but it's worth looking into. Yeah. Hey, they do it in the state of Nevada. Tell them that's, a, you know, the amateur fund pays for it. Yeah. Any amateur fund comes up with travel money and shit for kids that want to go to the national AAU boxing championships and stuff, you know, and that, yeah, that, that's used for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that pays yeah. for the, uh, that back, pays for the, uh, yeah. the paramedics. The organization we have, you know, we got the uh, WK, ISK, uh, USMTA. Back in the early 90s, I was acting commissioner for WK. Yeah. And then the USMT, United States Muay Thai Association. I was a North American rep for them. Then I went, um, uh, would I go after USMTA? Oh, was it, um, what's it, uh, the guy, he passed away. Um, uh, not USMTA, uh, USKBA. Mm. I can't remember. I the, uh, you know, I was wait, involved, wait. Not only was I involved, obviously, in what I'm doing, but I was also involved with these organizations, you know, the whole events. Hey, remember when there was like 10 people that said they ran the WKA after Howard Hansen got in trouble? Well, yeah. Howard Hansen put me in charge. Hey, no, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. You know, that. Dave, Dave Watkins was in charge. He was the I, best. I fight. He was, Dave Watkins was great. He was. And what was the, the guy he brought down for, he was always the referee. Lorenzo. Lorenzo White or something like that? Yeah, Lorenzo White. Yeah. I mean, one time we had uh, 23 fights on the card. We were fighting till 2 in the morning. And Lorenzo was the only referee we had. I took him out and the The poor guy was totally exhausted. And I told him, somebody falls out, drag him out. We got to get to the next guy. We got to keep going with these fights. We can't take time with everything we're doing. But we made it happen. You know, but back then. And we had to have a shitload of gloves we had to buy for the event. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of gloves last event. You had some nice stuff uh, at the at the last fight. Yeah, yeah, I got them out of um, what else? At uh, out of Pakistan. Yeah, I was just gonna say the Pakistan. They got some companies that make really good gloves. Yeah, they made it. They put my uh, our logo on it. Yeah, uh, picture of the calcium on there. They did a good job, and for. Where ringside you're paying you know hundred some dollars a pair of gloves. These are thirty five dollars pair of gloves. No, oh, just as good yeah. as is, is excellent. Real good, easy real, real real good leather and everything they use. Really I, I find that place. I get like a ten thousand advertisement for like stuff from Pakistan, but I feel like they're all scams. Like, how did you uh, how did you find a, a one that's actually a real company? I got that through okay. ISKA who gave me uh, Bubba's. Number Bubba who runs his shows in Rochester. Yeah, was that guy? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, he he's the one. He said, "This is who I go through." So I knew that he had to be legit. I know nowadays you can't. Yeah, you know, there's so many scammers out there. It's ridiculous. But this yeah. is legit. If you want to, you know, just let me know. I'll give you his number uh, uh, and his email address. How to get a hold of him? Yeah. Yeah. That's back, that factory. That factory in Pakistan makes 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 uh, gloves for uh, quite a few brands now. A lot of yeah. people have gone to them, yeah. I've just seen, yeah, some of the ones that are advertised on ringside or 
vital are coming out of Pakistan. Yeah. I mean, they, they make jackets, they make clothes, they make gloves, they made headgear. Um, it's all top quality. I was really impressed with when I got everything. Yeah, I saw them and they look great. They look uh, yeah. so much better than like a lot of the stuff that usually you see at the fights are like all like broken and worn out. And then like, <laughs> yeah. inspectors like, all right, let's uh, grab a different pair, you know, like, Plus, I mean, we used to always change gloves. You know, you get done, take your gloves off, get the next guy. So I bought yeah. up this time, so I, I don't want them putting their hands in somebody. You know, just got done sweating them for you know three or five rounds, and yeah. you know, put them on. Next guy, put them on. <laughs> I remember going back when I when I was sparring, get ready for my fights. I used to spar at the PAL in uh, South Buffalo. Their gloves, oh, yeah. they were so bad. I was sparring. I was like gagging because of the gloves and now i'm fighting chuck to chuck johnson was a, a pro boxer he started kickboxing us remember him, charlie chuck yeah. chuck? but he's my spar partner he was 340 pounds but he was relentless he'd fight yeah. break a sweat and he and he'd be hitting me and i'm hitting him. i go don't you feel this i'd be kicking him he just kept that covenant it covenant. but great spar it's like having a walking heavy bag and he was just a, a great, and then he started kickboxing with us. And I remember we had, we had, some, we had some great fighters on our show. Stonehorse fought on our show. Did he? Yeah. I, I keep in touch with Stonehorse. Well, yeah, he remember it's the Radisson when he, he lost at the Radisson. Yeah. Matter of fact, because they were working his corner, as I was swelling, I looked at his corner. I go, Don't you want to get that down? No, I go, Get out of there. So I grabbed my end swell, got in the ring, and started working to get his eye opened up again, you know? He had worked a 10-hour shift. He was a steel worker climbing the beams and shit. And, and uh, he had to go there right right from work. And, boy, he was he was beat. Yeah. Well, I say, Chuck, I mean, he would go, again, he, he just wouldn't tire. His, yeah. He was so comfortable in that ring, you know, no matter what you did. And then when you went to kickboxing, again, we were in a show in, um, out, of, out of state. And the doctor, you know, looked at him and goes, you're going to fight tonight? Because yeah, I'm gonna fight because he looks like a pair. Yeah. I mean, it's the way he's shaped. And uh because you're gonna fight five rounds. Because I'll fight five, I'll fight five more and I get done. Yeah, yeah, no problem. He gets out of read, he goes, Well, we fight five more. She goes, You're just amazing. I never see anybody look like you. It'd be it'd be such great shape, you know, blood pressure is perfect, everything was in but uh Chuck was a uh, it was great for the sparrow because he hit me and I see stars because he was a big yeah. man, heavy hitter. But uh, uh -huh. me, I gotta jump in with a plug real quick. I know we got uh, some, some great stuff going on, but if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, make sure you like and subscribe to our channel. Also, Castle Cones Coliseum Combat Battle at the Theater, it returns Saturday, April 6, 2024, Forbes Theater, 500 Pearl Street. Make sure you guys go there. Uh, if you want to get on a card, contract uh, Mr. Castle Cone. Uh, you can find him on Facebook, MMA Castle Cones. Or uh, just reach out and uh, you can search them, I'm sure, a thousand different ways. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I turn the floor back over to you guys. Got to sell this stuff. I got to get my charger. Hold on. <laughs> For your heart? <laughs> you start to get look a little pale. You might, be, might keep an eye on it. Oh, man. Well, we can just uh, we can, we can kick them out of the pack. I yeah, we don't need to yeah, you know, I don't want to go dead in the middle of our conversation. Can you, uh, can you break down a little bit, like uh, what the differences are between like putting on a show now and uh, back in the day when you and Mr. Enslow were, or uh, yeah, you and Mr. It was, it was just that. so so much easier. 
you didn't have all the rules and regulations. And you know, we ran shows. We you know, we just have an EMT ringside. Yeah. Well, we need. I mean, and we never had issues. Uh, you know, everything now is everything is micromanaged. You know, exactly. Like, you know, micromanaged. And unfortunately, it's got to the sports. I haven't even talked to the New York State Athletic Commissioner, you know, a year or two ago. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, two doctors ringside, you know, EMT, uh, paramedic, ambulance, stretcher. It just adds to the cost of doing shows that we enjoy doing. Now, now, now are these for pro or amateur shows? Uh, the only difference between a pro and amateur, you need two doctors for pro, one doctor for amateur. Oh, okay. But you still need a doctor, still need a paramedic, you still need an EMT and the ambulance and a stretcher. Um, again, it was just you didn't you were so micromanaged. You had one rep, whether it was for WK, ISK, USMTA, they would be there, check everything out, make sure everything you know going out where it's supposed to, and that was it. Yeah. Put the show together. Now it's just like you can't see looking over your shoulder, you know, making sure you do you know, and we do we go by what they tell us, you know, we've got to follow yeah. the rules. Um, but again, it was easier back then. That's all, you know. Yeah. You have a, like Joe Wall at the shows now. Uh, he commented earlier. He was happy to see you. Um, it, it seems like a, a lot of people when the commission comes in, you know, because they got all the people that watch everything. And I know, like, the promotion has to cover the cost of this. And you've been doing this yeah. show. I'm sure you've seen your cost rising like everyone else's cost. Oh yeah. And you keep putting I'm, these I'm shows sure. on, man, and like. You're you're one of the guys that like I'm very impressed by because I'm telling you a lot of these promoters are just about getting the tickets out of the door and it doesn't seem like that's what you're doing at all and uh, I've been around a lot of fights and you just like to put the fights on and, and make good fights and uh, what 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 makes you different than other promoters? Again, you know, I've always bad bad businesses. I've always you're bad on, he's honest. Really. <laughs> uh, Really, I mean, and you know, again, I don't do this for a living. I don't do this to, to make money. I do it to put the shows on. We enjoy what we're doing. We like what we're doing. Um, you know, and obviously, you've seen my my son Santino fight. Uh, you know, it's just it's in our blood. It's in you know, all my children have fought. My daughter had eight fights in the ring. She was undefeated. Um, you know, when she was fighting, and one day she decided, you know, Papa, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, I didn't want this for her. But I said, I'll take you as far as you want to go. And she would drop my 300-pound guys with leg kicks. She had uh-huh. the same spot. Her and I did an exhibition one time for some charity. And she was kicking about the fourth kick. I go, what are you kicking so hard for? He goes, I'll suck it up. I'm not kicking it hard. Well, my leg yeah. was swollen, you know. I'm like, okay. But, uh, you know, like I say, it's in our blood. All my kids fought, you know, from my oldest boy down to you know, my daughter, my youngest. But when, uh, uh, when Santino's done fighting and all your kids are done fighting, are you still going to carry this on? Or uh... oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I'm hoping when I'm gone, they'll carry it on. You know, they'll enjoy doing what I do. You know, and uh, you know, you know the people there. Probably 95 percent of people I, I know are you know people that have been on our shows and they continue to come and support us because they know they're going to have a good show. They know it's, you know it's they just put together well. You know, Is got- Russ Russ Kachi around? No, well, Russell's in Florida, but he's moving back. He called me the other day. Oh, he's my daughter's godfather. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's moving back to Buffalo. Good guy. Yeah. A little out of his mind, but he's a great guy. <laughs> I was uh, I was pretty impressed by your son at the show as well. 
Um, I know he was fighting, and like, uh, of course, the, the fight was impressive too. But he uh, he was carrying on your legacy. He was making sure everyone got their gloves. Like when I was in there, he was like going around the locker room, making sure all the fighters were taken care of. That's crazy. Like he's yeah. fighting, like, and he's in the locker room with like his opponent at times. Like it, yeah. he's like yeah. a, a pretty cool guy to to, to do all that, man. And, uh, he is, and he he usually runs things for behind the scenes. But again, him being you know fighting, he couldn't. And then the you know, the, the rules are when. Obviously, you know, you get your locker room, you can't leave. You know, we had none of that back in the day. You know, they wander around, get their hands checked and, and move on. So that was, you know, a little bit of a burden for me. I had to do a lot more. I didn't even see, you know, I think I seen three or four fights because, you know, I was up with him, warming him up, getting him ready, you know, getting, yeah. ready, getting ready for the yeah, show. We, had our, we hired our, my friend Carlo Italia to be the glove man. Remember he had the gloves yeah. at the table? And he kept track. And my friend Chris Breen, he went and collected the gloves in both corners after each fight. And brought yeah. to Carlo. Carlo had all the names, all the weights of the gloves, everything he had, everything. We didn't have to worry about anything. Lost, you know, throughout the years, we lost some gloves. You know, they disappeared. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, that was a great fight, especially being the, the main event. Um, Craig Reed, their hats off to him. You know, he comes to bang, you know, and uh, it was a bloodbath at the end. But uh, it was a tremendous, you know, and that was the, the first fight that I've ever seen my son. Normally, he he he's not doesn't get that excited. He, he obviously enjoys the win, but he's humble. He's always been a very humble guy. And I think this, you know, between the blood and everything else, it was just, he said, Potter's like a movie. He goes, you know, something I'll never forget. And it was because they went to war and, uh, you know, as a crowd pleaser, you know, Craig Reed had a lot of, um, uh, he sold a lot of tickets from his school. Uh, so it was a good event. I mean, Craig's a stand-up guy. Like I say, he's a tough guy. He, he comes to brawl. And, uh, yeah, our hat's off to him. But I've known them, the Reeds, him and his brother Chris. Is Mike, uh, actually, Santino, my daughter, fought on his point card. My daughter was eight, and Santino, I think, was 10 or 11. No. That's how we go, you know, with our schools and with our families. And you guys are still fighting out, and then you're like friends after. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. You know, people don't understand that. You know, even when my daughter was fighting, like at that time at our gym in West Seneca, I used to put the shows on there. And my cousin, who had the pizzeria, who sold pizza, and my daughter and the other point going in, they're banging away, and they get done, and they're holding hands in hand, they're skipping, you know, mm -hmm. going to get pizza and pop. And my cousin goes. It was just in there beating the crap on each other. I go, yeah, but you understand this is what it, our sport is. This is what it is. You know, and the, the ones you see that don't have respect are the ones that don't come from a traditional background. Yeah. You know, in traditional martial arts, you learn respect is number one. Yeah, you absolutely. You carry your through your life. But some of these guys, they get in, they, they you know, and they ha they don't have that, that part of it. Yeah. I always like fighters that come from a traditional background, especially a point background. Because they got the speed there, the timing there, the accuracy. You just need to how to put it together with power. Yeah, power. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just not a, a tapping like the karate kid, you know. And uh like Ellen Roberts, uh one of my my fighters from back in the day, he was a tremendous point fighter and became a tremendous kickboxer. I mean, for that reason, his kicks were, were fast, his timing was there. And I was I would Yell they you know, yell from the corner and you, you assume they can't hear you anyway. But no matter what I tell him, I tell him, double up on the left or right hand, bing bing, he do it. I'm like, they go, did you actually hear me? He goes, like you were sitting on my shoulder. 
He goes, I didn't hear anything but your voice. I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Um, but those are the ones that, you know, they become great fighters because they have that background, the, the, the traditional respect that you do when, when you're in the martial arts. You know, when you were talking about fighting in uh, Madison Square Garden and stuff, I was working one of Zab Judah's fights here in a boxing match. His father's his trainer, corner man. We started talking. His father uh, fought on those uh, shows in New York City. He was a he was a full contact guy. Yeah, yeah. Zab Judah's father was a kickboxer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's from Brooklyn too, I believe. Yeah. 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 Ray got all in New York City connections. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Between the fights, you know, there was fights everywhere. We travel all wherever we could get a, a, a fight. Who's your favorite K1 fighter? Ernesto Host. <laughs> King of the Light Kicks. The best. The best. Gotta be, well, Bazooka Joe. Yeah. Well, we train with him. When we get, when Santiago gets ready for. We'll go up to Toronto. We'll fight with you know Bazooka's camp guys, and um, uh, Derek, their coach, passed away. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, yeah. Years no, old, thirty some years old. I mean, we're no. all crushed. I mean, Derek was one of the you know the most stamp guys I've ever met. Always a big smile on his face, and you know, always happy to see us. Oh, yo, come down anytime. And now Bazooka and his other people have taken over, uh, but they're still a class act, you know. Little Steve from Redemption. Um, so many great camps up in uh, Canada. You know, did, um, did uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, did Stone Horse ever get a hold of you? No. Oh, he's he's on Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I see him around, but. Yeah, I, ch I chat with him. He, um, you know, when John Jones started training MMA, you know, you know, kickboxing and everything, one of us camp or trainers of people brought John Jones to a uh, stone horse. They told stone horse, this, this guy's going to be the world champion. He's the real deal. And stone horse, of course, you know, some new guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's going to be the real deal. Yeah. Okay. Let's see what he's got. And he started training in Muay Thai with, uh, with stone horse and stone horse. So he said, well, he was a real fucking deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's I where he learned his Muay Thai from was some stone horse. Well, yeah, he was out of, um, Binghamton. Yeah. Well, he, he was he was originally from Rochester, uh, John Jones, and then he went to um, more grew up most of his life went to college in like Binghamton area. Yeah, yeah, Catskills. Yeah, bomb squad back in the day. Yeah, but it's funny with the uh, um, talk about uh, Bazooka Joe. Now Santino's. You know, we went to uh, New York City to watch Glory uh, when they were fighting, and he always liked you know. I mean, we got pitched with Bazooka Joe, you know, every time we go up there. And he's just, they're great guys. And Santino, the last round, we knew we had all four rounds won. I said, just don't get caught. And he goes, pa, I, I was in the corner and I, it popped in my head, Bazooka Joe, because Joe's last title fight, he had the fight won, fifth round, the guy caught him with a, a short hook, I think, and knocked him out. And I said, that's how quick it happens. He goes, it, it popped into my head. And I spun the guy around, and I got him in the corner. And I went to work, but so I told his coach about uh, about a week ago. I talked to Paul Minus, who used to be his coach at one time. I go tell Joe when you see him that thanks to him, Santino didn't get caught in the corner 
because he thought of you, and he spun himself out of that corner and finished the fight. So it's funny how things, you know, happen and add up, you know, down the road when you're doing things, you know. So you you've been in this business now for close in on fifty years. Goddamn it, that's a fucking crazy <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> Uh, it's been years. Years. It's right. crazy. <laughs> like what kind of changes have you seen in the fighters? I mean, fighters are so much more skilled nowadays, but I feel like even the guys from my era seems a lot tougher than, uh, than the guys that we have today, at least like, uh, durability wise, maybe not like, you know, these guys take a beating too. Like uh, everyone that steps in the, in the ring or a cage is tough, but, uh, right. what, what are some of the differences that you see in the fighters from, uh, from your age to, to now? Again, I think the you know these guys are a little bit more skilled, but they're a lot tougher in the old days because you know you didn't fight constantly. There weren't that many fights going on, so when you did have a fight, you know these guys were ready. These guys were were prepped for these fights. Where now it seems like there's so many uh, promoters, so many fights going on. They they kind of take it for granted. So that training is hard. Oh, I'm gonna fight in a couple of weeks. I won't have to train. You know. Like we would train, obviously start months before when we got a fight coming up. But now it's it's so many it's so close that they're losing that the prep time. You know what I mean? And refs didn't refs didn't stop the fights as much back then as they do now. Yeah. You know, you get a you get a little cut and the ring doctor comes in, oh man, I gotta stop this fight. It's like and I'm watching, I'm like, come on, it's not that bad. <laughs> Put some fucking adrenaline one one thousand or Aventine on the cup. It's a vast lead. Let him go. Let him go at least one more round. You know. But yeah, I think that's you know really what it is. It again, it's not so much so often back then. So we look forward to it. we train hard, you know, because you know we might not have no one for six months. We're not fighting so often that's just, okay. I'm ready. I'm in shape. So I think that's a big factor. And, and you didn't. And back then you didn't have. All the fancy gyms and equipment to work out on, all the supplements to build muscle, and but not steroids, just, just supplements in general and stuff. And the diet and everything is, you know, everything is and back then they just trained enough so they could breathe for six rounds and go and kick the crap out of somebody. Yeah. Yeah. They probably ate a pizza before the fight. Probably. Uh, I was telling, like I was telling you earlier before we went live that. With my instructor, Master Lee, our gym was upstairs from um, Mickey Rat on uh, on um, Main Street. Main, Main Street, yep, yep. And again, we had we had no heat in the winter. We had no air in the summer. We had a fan, and I'd go in there and I'd sneak in early and I I turn the thermostat up with my pen. Oh, Angela, who turned the heat up? I I don't know, Master Lee. I don't know what it's got here. Just to get it to at least thirty degrees. Because that's how cold the floors were ice cold. Wow. And remember was, Jimmy, remember uh Jimmy Gordon? He was a doorman at Mickey Rats on Main Street. Very, very well. Jimmy Gordon, yeah. He was a banger. I wish he would have fought he was, you. Uh, he, 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 he was a bad he was a tough man. There's no question. I, no. I I used to spar with him and uh he's a kind of he was the instructor, he didn't pull any punches. You were training him, you were sparring him, just you know, exercising, like blocking him and punching. He puts through your chest. He hit yeah. about your neck. I mean, he he'd, be the, he'd be at the door, Mickey Rats, and he just had this look on his face. Just as you know, you see him at the door. You walk into the into the bar, 
it's like you say to yourself, I am not going to fuck around in this club with this guy at the fucking door. Yeah, he just had to look about him. One he was time, scary. He was scary standing still. What time of Friday and Saturday? There's a, a group of guys getting ready to get into it. He walks in the middle. Well, remember Ronnie Wonderlick? No. Ronnie and I are still dear friends so today. We get up and we go sit. He goes, What are you doing? We go, Well, you know, there's like 15 of them. Goes, go sit down. I'm all right. I'm like, All right. So we went and sat down and told the guys, We'll go outside. They're like, Which one? He goes, All these. <laughs> they got about halfway to the door and they went back and sat down and shut up the rest of the night. <laughs> but a guy goes, Yeah, you got to think twice. Okay, should I go outside? <laughs> he was a big guy. He was tall. He's probably like 6'2, six, 6'3. Six, yeah. He was a big guy. Yeah. He just had a menacing look about him, but he was a real nice guy. <laughs> so, accident, and they yeah. said he never walk again. I go, anybody gonna walk, Jimmy Gordon yeah. walk. And he did. Yeah, they sure did. And there's other leg, and I think he still trains, you know, from what I yeah. I, I hear. Yeah. I remember maybe a, a great while. So I want to get into something that you sort of brought up a little bit. You said there's a lot of shows going on now, and uh like uh, we talked about this in the Korean room, so I'm gonna handle it with like Kara. I know we, we wanted to uh, like be respectful to everybody, but um, the the FCP show is the same day as your show, and uh, like lately it seems like a lot of the fight shows are on the same day. Actually, the Fredonia grappling tournament is also on that same day. So uh, as a coach, oh, yeah. I have a lot of stuff to go on that day. So I have a grappling tournament, then I go to fights, whatever fights we end up getting booked on, right. and um, like why why is it like there's so many months where nothing's going on? Why why uh why can't we get everyone together somehow and uh, make sure that the fights are broken up so uh, everyone can get their 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 hands in the pot a little bit? Angelo told me about that. He said, "I I I remember the when we talked. He said, I'll get a date for a show three three and a half four months before the show. And next thing you know, there's two three other shows the same date. They ended up booking on the same date. I said from the beginning we should all get together collectively." It's okay. Let's let's get our calendars together. I got these dates booked. You got these dates, and we this way everybody it works for everybody, because over we only got a small pool of fighters locally. Yeah, and they're fighting all the same shows. And I guess I have no. I just talked to someone there. I can't think who was there. They had. I have no issues of sitting with the you know with Bubba, you know with uh, uh, Keith with the everybody else. Say, okay, let's pick these dates. And, you know, like Keith, I'm sure he, he, any day is pretty open for him. Same to Bubba and same to me. We're five and a pearl. But we need to do this. We need to get together. And we need to figure this, figure this out. So we're not beating each other up and trying to get, you know, the shows put together. I think I like, everybody one, gets like one kick Nick out here doesn't do a show and Tough Enough's got a show and vice versa. You know, they sort of respect each other that way. Yeah. I mean, you really only have like the three big promoters. Now you got uh, K4, uh, you got you guys, uh, FCP, there's Gladius, but they're pretty far away and they lost their venue. So who knows when, when they're going to have. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I just know that they lost the venue. Uh, I had a fighter fight for them too. They're the one in Elmira, right? Gladius? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're far. They're like uh, an hour and 45 minutes away. I mean, that's still close enough. And then Rich Mitchell kind of dropped off. I know he was having health problems. And I bought his cage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you got his cage. And uh, he's been talking about doing another grappling show, too. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Like, I, I used to work for Rich. So I worked for 
I, I call a show for Mamba Wood. I, I call a K for me and Ray call all the K4 fights. And we do the, the social media for K4. Uh, like, I try and promote the FCP fights. I'm trying to promote your fights. Like, um, like as a community, we, we should really grow. Like, we're all starting to train together as gyms. Like, the gyms are starting to come together now. You know, like, we're getting right. together. We're training. We're cross-training. And that used to be, like, a uh, no-fly zone. We used to never do that, you know? Right, right. But now right. we're all trying to make Buffalo be a bigger place than just, yeah. oh, let's stop fighting each other. Let's get, get our experience in on your shows and – Get national, you know what I mean? And I mean, you're a couple good. hours from Penn, anywhere in Pennsylvania, hour 50 minutes from Toronto. You got a big population base and a lot of gyms and stuff and everything. And you can, you can do some really successful stuff if everybody would just like say, Yeah, maybe this is the best way to do it. I mean, we get, like we had sparring today, we get together with uh, Mateo's militia. He brings his fighters down and they'll. And everybody, everybody works well together. And, you know, we tell them that we're here to spar and not to kill each other, you know. Yeah. But that's a problem. You go to some places and you guys aren't controlled. And, you, you know, you don't want to go in and get injured yeah. before a fight. You know, so you got to you know, be careful where you're going, who you're going to. But, um, you know, I mean, Tony well, Tony was one of my fighters back in the day. A lot of these guys that have gyms were my fighters back in the day. And they were built for their old schools, which is, you know, I mean, to me, it's, it's nice to see that they carried on, you know, after and open their own gyms, open their own schools. I just want to give is Joe, is Joe Pagan around. Uh, no, so give, me, give, me, give me one second, Charlie. I want to shoot, shout them out a huge thank you. Uh, they wrapped my fighters' hands when I was in the sling, and I couldn't wrap hands. So Mattel wrapped up, wrapped my guys' hands, and I like, I really appreciate it. So if you guys are watching, it's like, thank you so much. I was like. I taught my guy kind of how to do it, but he kind of sucked at rapping. No offense. Uh, yeah. He's not very good at rapping. It takes, it's not, it's a science, man. It's hard to do. And it I is. couldn't do it one handed. So, um, like, thank you so much for wrapping my guy's hands. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a great guy. Him and his crew are all good people. We're talking about wrapping hands. We're at a show, one of Amir Abdallah's shows, I think. And because uh, I used to rep his shows. Remember when um, when um, Jay Bauman fought uh, Mark Stevens? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a Jay said I'm only gonna fight if Angelo's referring this fight. So they asked me, I said, "Yeah, I'll ref it." And I told him, "I said, look, you got to be careful with Mark Stevens. This guy's been all over the world, you know." But they convinced him to come in and fight, and he did. I mean, Jay's a, a tough kid, and unfortunately, you know, he got. I seen it coming. Do a couple of eight kicks. I'm thinking it's go to the head, but I want to pull him out of sight. Go, he's going to go to your head. But you know, obviously being a ref, I couldn't help him. Sure yeah. enough, it was, it was like that. He went down and it was out. You know, um, but you know, I get there and I, you know, I'm wrapping a couple of guys' hands. I look, there's like 20 guys sitting in chairs behind me. I go, what are you doing? We'll get it. When do I get our hands wrapped? I go, where's your coach? <laughs> yeah, waiting for you to wrap uh, the whole the whole card. So I'm sitting there and I'm rapping, I'm rapping. Now, obviously, Santino knows how to rap pants, so he helps me, you know, rap our guys. But uh, yeah, there must have been 20 kids waiting for me to rap pants. And there was like two hours. They used to have in the TNT fights. Guys would come with no coaches, and they're like, oh, "I need my hands wrapped." And then like yeah. I'm supposed to be commentating a show. I'm over the back wrapping people's hands and stuff. It's crazy. Like, uh, it's crazy like coming no coaches, isn't it? It's you gotta crazy. wonder. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it is like, uh, you know, they say they're going to fight. They're working in the gym. And then the gym's like, no, you're not going to fight. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm going to go fight. And they're like, okay, go fight. Figure it out on your own, you know? Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that happens, yeah. 
Yeah, it's usually how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Uh, another uh, plug. Thank you, Integrity Martial Arts, for sponsoring this podcast. It's my gym. Uh, so I pay for the podcast, obviously. So uh, thank you once again for my gym. Um, speaking about gyms, uh, you still successfully run your gym. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, the ups and downs of being a gym owner yourself? Well, basically, we, you know, I have my gym built on my home. I used to have a gym in West Seneca, then I had one on Broadway, and I got tired of driving in a half hour, two people show up, you know, or nobody shows up and drive all the way back home. So I built the whole building on. I got my ring, uh, heavy bags, speed bags. You got a nice floor area. And um, basically, there's any given time, six, eight of us, that's it. And, you know, I don't charge them. I just do it. I enjoy doing it. So... I mean, they got the freedom come and go as they as they want. But you know, back in the day, I used to uh, teach at the head of our community center. You know, living in Lovejoy. Oh yeah, yeah. Lovejoy, oh, yeah. no, yeah. Yeah, going way back in the day, and I taught traditional taekwondo because I, I I was my my uh, master's uh, highest rank student. I got my fourth down. I became a master of taekwondo, and. Same thing with the kids in the neighborhood. I mean, I get till even till today, I see kids. Oh, remember I trained with you? I'm like, not really. There <laughs> were so, so many kids, and I never charged them. It was a neighborhood thing, and I enjoy doing it, you know. But, but Angelo, I, do you train? Do what? Do you still train? Oh, yeah. I'm still Work working out. Out. That man. He definitely trains. Look at he goes like this. He's got bigger muscles than anyone else in this podcast right now. Man, he's, a, he's a tough old guy. <laughs> well, I got it. You see my son? You see my fighters? I mean, they got to be oh. sure they never turned on me. But I, I, I love to. You know, <laughs> say that the biggest compliment I got was um, one of the kids in the neighborhood for Father's Day sent me a, a Father's Day card or, or text. He oh, said, cool. they, they all call me Mr. C. They go, Mr. C, you took stone cold killers. You made us men. You taught us respect. You taught us how to be men. Because most of them didn't have fathers in their lives, you know, and I, I just didn't think anything of it. I just took them under my wing with me because all my son's friends, and for them to say that, you know, how much I did for them, it meant a lot. You know, after all these years, to hear them, the recognition that they gave me, you know, and I didn't do it for anything other than because I enjoyed doing it, and they're I know they're all street kids, you know. I was a street kid at one time too in the neighborhood. And you know they they would come to me or they come over to the house. We'd have them out here for picnics and their family. Now they got families of their own, and that means a lot. You know that they'd be recognized like that by these guys. Yeah, I think it's great. I think you should be recognized more in the fight community too. Um, I don't think you get enough respect in the, in the community, especially like the MMA community. I think a lot more guys should be doing more kickboxing. Uh, these amateur guys, like some of the MMA guys, are striking pretty bad. And yeah. uh, they could definitely use some amateur kickboxing and go with it. And yeah. like you have a great show, I always recommend that uh, most of my fighters or like anyone in China, like get some kickboxing. Like at the time, we had lace up, we had Casico. Is lace up even still a function? Yeah, he's doing it solely in um, uh, Syracuse. Syracuse right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we had a we had a great kickboxer from Belarus, Radic Lankin. Yeah. Oh, what a kickboxer he was, this kid. He's from Russia. Yeah, and remember, he, he, he said in Russia, when we're kids, because here in America, you play Little League Baseball 
we kickboxed in Russia when we were kids. Box. That's the sport where we played baseball, football. When he came here, he didn't speak any English. Yeah. He started with Kevin Rozier. And then he, he got, I don't know what the deal was. I don't know what happened between them. And I don't know how he found me. I don't know if it was through Charlie. And I was teaching at Gold's Gym at the time. And he came and trained with us. And, you know, you know when you see a diamond in a rough. <laughs> oh, he was so good. Unbelievable. Everybody I put him in front of, he beat. Uh, he fought um, one of the twin dragons, Mick and Marty's fighter, who yeah. was the next world champion. And Raddick just spanked this kid for five rounds. And they started calling me Jesse James. We got robbed. Yeah, oh, oh remember that? He goes, Jesse James, Mick and Marty Magda, he's in the corner. The judge is uh, announcing the decision. And he goes, uh, Jesse James is in the house. Remember that? <laughs> Yeah, like, just, he was, like he was getting robbed. No, you didn't get robbed. The guy got whooped by this little Russian amateur kickboxer. Little, little, little guy, but uh, uh, very respectful. Uh, I used to have more for dinner. His father, I don't know what his father did. He transferred back for from Russia to the state, so I, I didn't get involved in all that. But uh, we had more for dinner one time. He told my wife it was a beautiful meal because he really don't know English language so well. But uh, <laughs> No, I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in so many years. I accidentally ran into him at the F MGM Grand after the fight. You see the picture? You guys sent it to me. Like, holy shit, it's Raddick, yeah. Yeah, because he comes in town. He still has family in, in uh, Amherst. Yeah, well, he, he's, he's in something like – he's in the finance or stock trading or something, does stuff like that in New York. Nice kid, respectful. Yeah. You got a family now? You got kids? Yeah, yeah, two kids, a wife, but uh, yeah, they he did all he did all above the waist, full contact. He didn't do the leg kicks, Asian rules. No, no, but boy, could he kick. Yeah, I uh, I want to ask you a question. You've been in this game for like longer than I've been alive. So, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're old, and you're an old man. We're old hey, men now. I don't know why. <laughs> We got we got to take the fucking blue pill now. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, Mr. Capricorn did not say that. Look at the guns on him. I don't think he needs no blue pill. <laughs> <laughs> He's been training. What what do you look for in a fighter that you're going to train? What what makes uh what makes some a fighter stand out? That what's what special characteristics are are you think go associate with a successful fighter that's going to make it you know as a pro? Number one is showing up. You know what I mean? Number one is having heart. Like I said, you get a volatile in the world. If you don't have heart, I can't help you. You know, you got to be able to push and move on, especially when you're sparring, you're getting banged. And I could see it normally, you know, when they slide out, I'll put them in a the ring just to give them a little spar. Right in the beginning, you see, do they have the heart? Is yeah. it worth that time to waste that time with them? And the guys and the kids that show up to the gym early every day. Yes. You know, and we got a guy now that just started with us, and um, he's always the first one here. He lost like about 40 pounds. Um, today's first time he sparred, and I, I thought he did. I told him, I said, I thought he did great today. And, you know, he never sparred before. Sparred with, you know, guys that had fights. That's a, those are the kind of people I love to work with because I know I can I can work with them. You know, they got heart, and they they, they show up. The talent we can give them, but they have to have the heart first, you know. For first one to arrive and the last one to leave. Yeah. I mean, we used to, I, I have, I've had so many people come to my doors. Uh, perfect example. One time I had a guy come in, I think it was like 320. 
And I, I said, what do you do? Oh, I'm a doorman and I'm a, and I, I'm a street fighter. No, I said, oh, a street fighter. I go, we slap street fighters all like little girls. And we go, so I told him, and I get to see his attitude. personality. I go, you know what? You and I will spar first. I didn't want to be with my guys and hurt anybody. I go, I'll work to your ability. If you will go slow, I'll work with you. I'll teach you what. But if you get stupid, I'm going to get stupid. First punch, right to the jaw. My whole side of my face went numb. I hit him with a left hand, uppercut, a right hand. He went all the way, hit the ropes, went down. He laid there. He goes, I'm done. I go, done. We just started. Done. Jumped out of the ring and left. He never came back. But I see that. And as soon as the guy walked in the door, I seen his attitude. I seen what he was about. And I, I won't have that here. You know what I mean? Because, like I say, we're all we're family. Everybody comes to me. We're, we're all family. And, you know, but when somebody comes out like that, you see they got the attitude right away. And you know they're not fighters, you know. Yeah. Now, I had a lot of bouncers in my clubs, you know. I mean, they're, they're tough guys. Most of the time, we they would talk them out of fighting. You know, calm them down. You know, come on, let me buy you a drink. And I tell them, once you back them in the corner, now you give them no, no other choice but to fight out. You know, and we had four rounds, but majority of the time, we had, you know, like I said, we had big, you know, L, 585 pounds, you know. But then he would drink wild turkey, and then I'd have to dance slow dance with him. <laughs> well, turkey, oh my god, it was only after hour at 4 30. He starts doing shots of wild turkey. My boss loves wild turkey. I buy him wild turkey for yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Every year. A couple years ago, he had a brain aneurysm, 36 years oh. old. That's on the wild turkey. They couldn't, they, they couldn't find a, uh, an MRI to put him in. That's how big he was. Oh, oh, one, it was too late. He, he, he flatlined. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got another fight question for you, and then I think we're going to start wrapping it up. How do you tell a fighter, uh, obviously, like, guys get older and they wear down and you, you see them start to not be the same. How do you tell a guy that this is his over. whole life he's been fighting <laughs> and uh, it's time for him to walk away? What do you say to him? It's over. <laughs> basically, yeah, basically, you know, look at how far you want to go with this. You know, your, your timing's you know, slower. And usually, even before I say anything, they realize it. We had, uh, again, um, uh, another big guy who was a banger. And what happened was he was heavy. He lost weight. Now, he was, you know, manhandling these other guys because of stamina. These guys were running out of stamina. By the time he ran out of gas, he beat him up. Then all of a sudden, he started getting gaining weight again. He started becoming a punching bag. I looked at him and said, you see what you're doing here? You now are becoming the fat guy again. You have no cardio. Now these guys are beating you up. Either you got to lose weight or you got to get out of the game. And you, know, you got out of the game, unfortunately. But, you know, I think he realized that the, the transition that was happening, that now all of a sudden he's the guy that – because they couldn't believe the stamina he had. But then when, the heavier you got, you can see him getting weaker and slower and not finishing the fight. Like when Sugar Ray Leonard – his last fight, he wanted to make a comeback. He went, and Michael Acri, uh, his, his promoter, signed out as his promoter. Mike Acri and Louis de Cubas, the ones that brought Roberto Duran's career back. And uh, and uh, Mike Acri and Ricky Glazer would book book the fighters for Mike Acri. And he said, you know, huh? I just seen Ricky uh, about a month ago. We both belong to the uh, uh, boxing um, uh, ring 44. Yeah. Rick Glazer's been in there uh, 
he does a lot of he does a lot of big stuff, man. He he doesn't like match break or get fighter. He just does the deals now. He works with Della Golden Boy, the uh, match yeah. room. He works at all all around the world. But anyway, they want to get Mike Yeager said told Leonard, let's do a couple tune up fights like we did with Duran. We'll get you on USA Network on Tuesday night fights and get you warmed up. He goes, no, I just want to see if I can do it. It, it, it's if I can do it or I can't do it. I think that's when he fought Camacho. And uh, I forgot what round it was. He went down, he, he taking a knee, and the referee's counting, did the eight count. And Ray just looked at him. The referee stopped the fight. Ray looked at him and said, Thank you. <laughs> and that was the last time he ever went in the ring. That's what he knew. It's like, no, he, he just. Uh, I don't think we got there a little bit left in this show, the, unfortunately, but. Yeah, I know when it's time to call it quits. You know, man, thank you guys for telling me this because I've been feeling great in the gym lately. I just recovered <laughs> from my bicep. Like, I'm just getting back in shape. I'm already in better shape than my fighters and like tuning them up a little bit. I'm feeling healthy again. And I, I just got to keep hearing, like, you're too old. You're too old. You're too old. And nah, uh, it's, all, it's all a mind game. <laughs> did, did you tear your bicep? What'd you do? You're, you did yeah, I, uh, I ripped it right off the bone. So I had to have it, uh, I just oh. uh, separate it. So yeah. I had to put screws in and you know reattach it, but wow. it's back now. And uh, like I I I sparred for like a good the first couple of times last week and feeling great. I've been doing jujitsu for a while again, but uh, like it feels good punching again. Like I turned I turned mine year, uh, years back in the ring. I'm uh, one of my fighters because he was in the ring and he's running around, running around. I go, what are you running around for? You got to engage. Get in there and fight. So I told I said. Get my gloves. I told him, I said, I said, what goes, what are you doing? I go, don't worry about it. I get the ring. Now he's running from me. I'm cutting the ring off. And as I went to throw a right hand, I was a little bit outreached. I'm thinking, oh, I hope I don't make contact. I did. And I was in zip. I'm like, crap. My wife goes, I told him, get mom. Because we got to take that out. He stepped his bicep. I think two months before that, I stepped my ankle on one of my fighters. I stepped on his foot. Near my ankle, you know, like shattered. So I had that to deal oh, with it instead of my bicep. Yeah. I did mine seven years ago, landing a body hook. And then what? this last one, I was just catching a dog. So I had him by the collar and he yanked because he got out of the yard. And he's like, he yanked it like just right off. I was like, oh my God, I fight all the time. I get hurt by a dog. This is ridiculous. You know, no. <laughs> a friend of mine did the same thing, pulling his, his kid's sled. Once he yanked the sled, it tore his tricep. Oh, man. So there's a million ways, you know, especially dogs, if they take off like that. Because I, I breed dogs. I got, you know, kennels here. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I got kind of corsos and German shepherds. So both, you know, especially the corsos, a big, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're not going to rob his house. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. <laughs> Everybody wants to know like, why you got so many dogs around. Like, none of your business. Just don't come around. You know, you got to worry about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, man. We're at about an hour and a half, so uh, we'll we'll start getting you out of here. But um, you do have your show coming up April sixth. Uh, it's in Buffalo, so if you're a local fighter, you should be fighting in Buffalo, anyways. Uh, the venue yep. is awesome. Uh, you can't do better than fighting at um, you know, the Pro Street, five hundred Pro Street. Uh, it you're like you're gonna feel like a king fighting in there. Uh, the yep. ring's nice. Uh, Angelo's a cool guy. His son will take care of you. He's, he's gonna get you gloves even if he's fighting. Uh, it's like it's a real family atmosphere, and I'm coming out of retirement <laughs> for one weekend only. Are you uh, be there? No, the commissioner 
used to be the commissioner near Mark Ratner. He's now vice president of regulations for the UFC. Uh, over the years, we used to put a team together from Las Vegas to go train officials in countries that didn't have officials. I did a seminar in Taiwan, I did Sydney, Australia, Tokyo, Rio, Manchester, England, Newcastle to train officials for MMA and stuff. Well, I did the inspector seminars, which is what I did. So uh, he told the chief inspector, Alex Abera, good buddy of mine I worked with at the commission because I retired from that like three, three years ago. And he said, ask Chuck Anzalone if he wants to be on the team of inspectors for the UFC fight night in Mexico City, February 24th. <laughs> I said, absolutely. <laughs> so going to Mexico. That'll Mexico City, yeah. February 24th, I think it's on uh, ESPN Plus or whatever it is. It's a, it's a fight night, UFC fight night. That's hey, awesome. Caveman. Huh. Caveman, tell, tell, uh, tell uh, Charlie about the story about the gloves. Which one? Your fighter got uh, screwed over. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I had a guy, Derek Patterson. Uh, he fought K4, and uh, they never checked his wraps. I heard oh. about that. Yeah. So I heard about that. I, I blame the officials for that, not their yeah. fighter. Uh -huh. It's their job to make sure that hand is wrapped before his gloves go on. The inspector, that's what we do. They wrap them right in front of me. You know that picture I got on the internet of me signing Pacquiao's wraps, and I got the gloves around my neck before he yeah. fought Bradley? He, I said, what they did was he got his hands wrapped, then he put the gloves on, and then afterwards he took his glove off. Am I right? And they, yeah, go, where's your mark? He goes, I don't know. They, they marked under his head, whatever. Uh, it was his first pro fight, right? Yeah, yep, uh -huh. on the fight, and they disqualified him. Yeah, that so was what happened was he got his hands wrapped in front of the commissioner, too. So yeah. the commissioner seen his hands get wrapped, and then they put the gloves on right away because they called him out, and uh, they never signed his wraps. That so, wasn't uh, right. I was I was mad about that. Is that in my fight? I was furious. Yeah, I said that I could have let him. The inspectors, our inspectors, we stay with the fighters until they go out to the ring. Yeah. There's always an inspector there. Yeah, he won all three it, rounds. And they I got to take a quick story. Remember when they used to have the tough guy tournaments? Yeah. The Buffalo. Tough so man. I, yeah, I was. Uh, they had me doing corners and refereeing for that. Well, they were doing a show at at. Um, uh, there's place I can't think of the name of the club right now, but they want to impacts impacts my gloves. Huh? I said, Okay, I said it'd be a hundred dollars a day for two days. No, I'm not paying. I go, Then you're not getting them. He goes to Kmart, <laughs> buys Kmart gloves. The first, uh, first fight, Kenny Olsen hits the guy, puff, the gloves exploded. Glove came by, yeah. <laughs> All the, all the cotton that was that was a night that was their club impacts on Dingens yeah. Avenue, I think. Yeah. So the guy comes up to the promoter, he goes, uh, can I get your gloves? He says, Yeah, I just sold you two hundred dollars for the bold lights. He's okay. Gives me two hundred and let me use the gloves, I didn't go back Saturday. <laughs> go down with you. But the, if you really see the gloves explode, I can't probably keep my gloves, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's, funny, that's a funny story. It, it, it was interesting, to say the least. And then uh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to fight on your card? They can look. You go on uh, Facebook. We got a post on it with my number. Or they call me direct 716-866-6616. Awesome, guys. And then uh, I will link. The, the post is already linked in this. Uh, contacts right on there. So if you're watching this and you just go out and you look at the thumbnail, the poster's there. 
It's in the upper right-hand corner right now, too. Uh, the number's on there. Uh, and Facebook is MMA Caster Cones, uh, so you can find it there, too. Um, definitely check them out. Uh, it's going to be an awesome show. Uh, hopefully, I'll be there. Uh, hopefully, you get my old guy matched up. We'll see. Like, it's hard to hard to get this guy fights. He's like 56. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's only got one fight, dude. How do you fucking get one fight at 56? You know, like, it's, it's tough. You know, like, when you're that old. And, well, that's uh, it. Like, those regulations, too. I mean, they, they make it... Up through hoops, you got to get the you know, the uh, ophthalmology, you got to get the neuro neurological test and the EKG, everything, man. It's tough to fight after forties yeah. for a pro, for a pro show, yeah. And he's no, had he, he's, he's had one fight, fight. Jeff. He's had one fight. Yeah, he's one and all. He beat up. Uh, <laughs> he beat Gerhard. Piece, uh, John Gerhard up. So yeah. uh, like, it wasn't, and he did you know, the uh, John he passed away too. Out, oh, guys. Yeah, I, yeah, like. I, I got Peter Mike wrapping his hands at uh, the show in uh, Rochester years ago. Yeah. yeah. So my guy fought him. And he well, whatever, him happened, whatever happened to Paul Vili in Rochester? Oh, I haven't heard that name in. Yeah. He he got into the jujitsu stuff, and you know he that's uh, where he went. You know. Yeah. Say that with a bad taste in your mouth. There's nothing wrong with jujitsu, bro. It's all right. <laughs> no, 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 but he used, he used to be just, no, he used to be, he, he used to be just in the, in the kickboxing, and I think he promoted or managed Bustamante for a while, yeah. and uh, yeah, but he was all stand-up guy, then he got into the jujitsu grappling, the MMA stuff, you know, yeah, 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 I don't know if he was promoting anymore or whatever, whatever happened to him, I know he went to the first Abu Dhabi Combat Club, I, I booked Francisco Bueno in the very first Abu Dhabi Combat Club, yeah. That was a long time ago. I have those on VHS. That's how long it was. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all bootleg, of course. I didn't pay you guys. Oh, you get the old, get all the old K ones on VHS. Yeah. Now you can oh. find everything on you. Ernesto, who's told me the worst day of his life was when Bob Sapp beat him. He goes, "Cause I wanted to be a four-time K one champion, cause nobody had ever done it before." Yeah. And I can't believe Bob Sapp not. Oh. But if you catch it in 30 seconds, you're, you're in big trouble. That, is, yeah. that guy is so steroided up over there. Oh my god. Oh, oh yeah. Well, he was he was, he was he was like one of the first guys to be thrown out of the NFL for steroids. Yeah. I think he played for the who did he play for the, the Vikings or somebody, whoever it was. Yeah. They're all on. I mean, they're all enhances. They can even say something so stupid. You know, it's all a guy out. You tell me they're not all doing it. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, you gotta play. You gotta play the rules enough so you don't get caught. You gotta like. You can't exactly. Be, like, you exactly. Can't here, here in here in here in Nevada, I mean, years ago, look what happened to Nick Diaz. They they banned him for like five years for failing a drug test for marijuana. Well, now they they raise the level of THC that's allowed in your system because everybody smokes weed or or uses THC or it's. Uh, CBD gummy for pain and stuff and all that and uh, so they've they've uh, you know they don't want to find cocaine or shit in your body but they've yeah. raised a level of THC that's allowed to be in your blood for taking a blood test now. That's crazy because they, yeah. they spent him for three years and then there a guy pop hot for steroids and he gets a year and a half so like it was worse <laughs> to smoke weed than do steroids yeah which is yeah. Like crazy yeah <laughs> that ruined Nick Diaz's career and that was the end of his career. They ban them in Nevada for five years, three or five years. And, of course, if Nevada bans you, New York's going to ban you, California's going to ban you, all the major committees are going to ban you. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, now it's uh, 
you know, it's what it is. All right, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. And Ange, if you want to like promote all your shows, like every show you have, I'd love to have you on and, and talk with you and Absolutely. like uh, try try and sell these shows. And I really want to help uh, push your show. Like you help me develop as a fighter and like my guys and the guys before me and want to give back to community. I want to make sure Buffalo knows that you're still around and like everything that you've done for the community. And I appreciate you. Well, um, thanks. And I, I appreciate think, you guys having me on too. I think you need to get more appreciation. And, you know, we love Charlie. Charlie comes on all the time. He's awesome. Thanks, thanks, for, having, thanks for having me. All your disco fans always watch all our shows. So <laughs> every every time that you're on, dude, our viewership goes way up. Uh, like, oh, did you did day. you did you see the podcast I did? The, which one? The DJ podcast. I saw some of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Oh, watch the whole thing. You'll piss your pants. No names were changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> oh, it's almost two hours long. The yeah, Road Podcast. It. <laughs> it's the Road the Road Podcast. Which is a great series of DJ podcasts, by the way. It's on here in Vegas. My buddy DJ Crooked and DJ Eddie. Anyway, I mean Anderson Pack's been on them, and they, they waited a year to get me on. Try to get me on. It's called a Road Podcast: Reflections of a DJ, Episode Two Eighty Two. You'll love this. You'll love this podcast. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm pretty sure we plugged that last time around. I'll put it in the header this time too. Oh yeah, it's a it's a, it's a good time. Yeah, you got anything you want to plug, Mr. Castricone? No, nope, I'm good. Again, I appreciate you guys having me on. Anytime you want me on, I'm here. All right, we'll get you. I want to get you every show. I want to like promote. I want to try and promote all the shows in Buffalo. Yeah, share the posters and everything. Oh, good, nice, nice. I appreciate that. Ray, you got anything to promote? No, just a show in April, April sixth. And next year we're doing our show in September. Another one in uh, November. I got a guy for September. I got a 35er. Uh, he'll be ready by then. He's uh, he's like one of those guys to talk about, like, didn't have a lot of talent, showed up early. He's starting to get it. He, by September, he'll be ready to fight. He's not ready by April, but he'll be ready by September. Nice. And, uh, I'm those are the guys you, you like to train, you like to work with, because you know they're listening, you know they're learning, you know they appreciate what's going on. Yeah, Tractor's the man. Uh, we nicknamed him Tractor. He doesn't drive a tractor or anything, but we just call him Tractor. <laughs> and, uh, he's not, like he's not farm fed, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. He's, like, he's a photographer. He's like the most city guy ever. That's why I call him Tractor. It's like it's just kind of fit. He wears bandanas. He looks old. He looks like he's like 36. He's got shoulder hair. He looks dumpy. And uh, he's looking a lot better now that he's been training. But he was 19, dude, and like I thought he was like 36, but uh, now he's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he looks better now though. Like, and now he's got a good round kick, punches come along. He's still having trouble defending himself a little bit, and gets backed up. And by the time he's ready to fight, he'll be good, dude. He's uh, he's uh, one of the guys. Aaron, hey, we'll get Aaron him on here. Hackley. We'll get yeah, him on here. Yep, for sure. Uh, Ray, you got anything to plug? No. Oh, hey, got, hey Charlie, when you come, Charlie, when are you coming back to Buffalo? Uh, my usual trip in the summer, usually second week in July for old home days in Williamsville, and November for the world's largest disco. Of course, we got We got to get together. We got. I gotta uh, treat you to some uh, pizza. I was gonna say. I was gonna say that before before we left. Yeah, we got to get together again. We had a nice dinner at Desiderio's that one time a few years ago. Yep. Are you gonna invite yeah. me this time, guys? Like, uh, you guys always talk about going out to dinner, and like, I never get an invite. Like, me neither. Wait, I, me neither. Me neither. Well, now, listen, me and Jeff, we can walk to dinner. Listen, I'm not going to invite either one of you. 
let's all get to, let's all get together when Charlie come back home. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, I got I got a promotion that I gotta do. I'm sorry, you might want to plug yours because I'm promoting another fight organization right now. That's all but, right. Uh, K4 fighting. Uh, when you get your tickets, put in promo code K4 Caveman's Corner. Right, that'll give us the money for the ticket sales. And then, like I always do, I'm gonna get four hundred dollars back to the fighters. I'm, I'm rewarded fight tonight. Both guys got hundred dollars. Submission night, hundred dollars. And uh, knockout night, we gave away hundred dollars. Last time we got two hundred dollars donated, so we gave away six hundred dollars. Uh, mm. K-Man's Corner. We're always looking to uh, sponsor fighters. Like you hook us up at our show, and we're gonna we're gonna give back to to your fighters, you know. Uh, and so now they give us a promo code, so it won't cost me four hundred bucks every time. Is the K? It's a K four MMA. No K four. Uh, it's uh they do Muay Thai, and they do K one. The promotion itself is called K four with Keith Fry. Right. He's not been along, around as long as Mr. Castricone, but uh, uh, he's a cool guy. And uh, we came up, white belt to black belt together, so we're like friends like you guys are. And uh, like, I, I'm sure Keith will work with you, and like, I'm sure he'll keep his dates separate from you. And uh, he wants to work and grow the community too. So, like, I think you guys are really like minded promoters. Uh, yeah. So, he's more about making money than you are, but. Like, uh, he wants to fight to be great, too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like making money. <laughs> no, we're all making money. <laughs> all right, guys. We're going to take off, fans. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're, thank you, guys. I know we're long, but Again, if you have to you watch it in five us. segments, definitely do it. Thank you, guys, and we are out of here.